Welcome to the Creative Industry Insight Podcast, a podcast that looks at various roles in the creative world. I'm your host, Bobby. Today's guest, editor Benjamin Rodriguez Jr., joins us to talk about their work on Master Gardener. Please be warned, there are heavy spoilers in this episode, so sit back and relax as we jump into the conversation with Benjamin. Hi, Benjamin. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, it's great to be here. I'm excited to jump in and talk about Master Gardener, which uh, came out last weekend and I managed to have yeah. a screener for it. I think it's my second screener. So it's like getting getting one. It's like feels like you get like the Holy Grail in a weird way. Yeah. Because it's like you get to see a film for uh, early and before yeah. others. I, I know it premiered last year. Yeah. Uh, but it's just like, wow, like this is so cool yeah um, I feel like you're part of like this like secret underground yeah exactly and it's just so I don't know it's just so funny to sort of think in my mind that it's just like wow I'm getting this um mm-hmm. and you're part of like an exclusive club but mm-hmm. really they probably sent it out to like hundreds of people <laughs> <laughs> um but so you saw the film I've seen the film yeah I wouldn't do a podcast without actually seeing the content <laughs> beforehand because that wouldn't I'm not sure how that would go down I mm-hmm. think it'd be like the probably like the quietest forty five minutes of my yeah. life. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> but here we are. Have but, you seen uh, the other his other ones? The the previous two. I have not yet. They're on my watch list to do uh, to oh, watch, yeah, yeah. which is bad because I because it is part of a trilogy, not as not like directly, not directly linked, but they're yeah. they're sort of linked thematically, should we say? Yeah. Um, I'm guessing the way the project came about is that you just got another call from yeah. the producers and Paul just to say, look, I've got another one. You know, we loved you on the other ones. Let's bring you back in. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much how it is. I mean, when we were doing the card counter, he, the card counter was done during the pandemic. We were editing virtually and where I'm at right now in my house towards the end of that, he was, I was, you know, checking with Paul, see how he's doing and, he's working on any stuff and he's like oh yeah i'm writing you know and i'm working on this this uh movie right now with horticulturalists who is uh in the a witness protection program and i was like "Ooh, that really that sounds really cool and uh then it kind of goes away for a bit and then he'll eventually send me the script i'll be like oh i get curious you know i come around and i poke him and i was like what's going on with that what's going on with that uh that that script paul and then he'll just go, oh, yeah, it's going, it's going pretty good, and he'll just send it to me, see what I think of it. When you get a sort of co- when you do get sent a copy of it, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you're reading it? Do you have like an idea of how it's going to be cut and how it's going to be paced, or is it a case of just sort of getting a feel of the material? It's just getting the feel of the material. You know, I I, I read it, and I usually read it multiple times. I read slow, and so <laughs> I have to go through it again. And then once after the first time, I kind of start to put together like how how he's writing it, how he sees it, particularly in Master Garner with the flashbacks and how he envisioned those. I mean, he wanted to do, he had a more kind of um, motion graphic 
transition involved with those flashbacks at first. And then w- once I was putting it together, I was like, well, this they just take too much time. You know, his idea of like these like screen wipes in between the present and the flashbacks. And so, but, you know, knowing this was part of the same vein as card counter and first reform you get an you get a sense of the pacing that he's trying to do in the films and like it like i said it's an indirect uh trilogy and the themes are the same but first reform being the kind of slowest pace i think out of out of the three and then this one with master garden just having more layers in it in terms of like subject matter and aesthetics with the flashbacks the pacing goes a little bit faster, but it's still kind of holding on shots longer than you think, than you expect to be. It's one of those sort of one films that's quite a quiet film that mm-hmm. you're sort of just living. I, I guess it's just a reflection on the character that you're living their life in terms of he's gone from being this uh, white supremacist to now a, a gardener. And it's just you're getting into that sort of slower pace of life because you can tell with the editing that when it does the flashbacks, it's very quick and in your face mm-hmm. and very like aggressive and then cuts back to the uh, present day where it feels very, I guess, like pleasant might be the right word mm-hmm. to use, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think as well with the subject matter of plants and when he talks when. Joel Edgerton's character talks about the soil and the sort of different plants and mm-hmm. it also the holding of shots on flowers. I think that they're, you kind of, when the camera sort of pans across them, you get like, there's like another sense of beauty surrounding it. Because I guess sure. with flowers as well, it's like you have that metaphor of like somebody's turned over a new leaf. But yeah. also, I think you kind of, you you see the beauty differently in flowers as well when you have mm-hmm. that close up and actually appreciate them. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, I think, is the the white supremacy topic and, and subject matter wasn't in the original script. You know, he was he was he was in the witness protection program. You know, a hitman, and he meets this young girl, and they they kind of fall in love. And Paul is a rebel. And he likes to, you know, provoke. And a lot of the feedback he was getting from people that read the script about the relationship between the two of them, her being uh, young and African-American, you know, people, I think at first, a little were a little hesitant. And this is just based off of them reading the script, you know, questioning the, the validity of their relationship and stuff like that. And so Paul, what Paul does, and when he's kind of, hearing things about people telling him to maybe have some restraint is he'll go the opposite way. And he says, okay, like I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to take even farther. And then the white, the white supremacy idea came in, came in towards the later drafts of the script. And then that, you know, that just opens up so much more into the, into the, the layers and the complexity of the film. But you're right when it's like, it's quite, it's funny as a, when you hear what like the writer's process, and I guess mm-hmm. it varies between writer to writer and the experience that they have, because with Paul, you know, he's written some classics, and yeah, you know, sometimes he, like I wonder who are the people that turn around and say no, you need to sort of scale back, or 
give yeah. a bit more uh, in terms of who's reading it. So that yeah, yeah, like, yeah. let's let's put this into overdrive. But I think as well, like having those themes of like the white supremacy idea, I think kind of creates more of a sort of like you kind of w- want to feel for, you you don't feel for the character at first because they think yeah you have that when you first see Joe Edgerton with his top off and you see all those tattoos you're like oh like what is like what is going on in terms of yeah. like is this person here for nefarious reasons are they yeah. undercover that um as a white supremacist to sort of rob people but then mm-hmm. as it goes along he's very more uh caring and actually has changed his life and even there's one scene i want to talk about later on about the whole mm-hmm. editing process will be the bit where they're in the car and it's like the camera's in the back seat and they're sort of driving around and mm-hmm. um, but we'll get to that afterwards and i think as well with like with the pacing of the film because you mentioned it earlier as well is terms of the holding shots longer than they should sometimes mm-hmm. and you have those moments where scene is being played out and instead of it cutting over the shoulder over the shoulder with the conversation the conversation flows and then it cuts and then it cuts later on is that a bit of an editor's dream, knowing that you can hold on a shot for so long so you don't need to cut too much? Or is it a case of sort of letting the scene play out, making the cuts in the same places? But then how do you work out the sort of pacing of the scene of what's being presented on screen? Yeah, I think it is a bit of an editor's dream because it's I love it because it's less of like what filmmaking is seems to be now. You know, it's always kind of cut it quicker keep up the pacing and um, get through the stuff fast. And I like the filmmakers that are kind of more daring enough to have things play on wide shots. And what Paul's case, it's even if even because sometimes if you're if you're an editor and you're cutting, you know, you're you're cutting either because the performance is going to drop, a line is flubbed or something. And so you're kind of you're not only cutting to an over the shoulder or close-ups to change the 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 camera angle you're cutting to either because you know the take doesn't carry out you have to cut but paul does you know he doesn't he shoots these movies very fast and he does a lot of he he does he tries to do a lot of editing in in camera and that's good and bad it's good because it, it makes his days goes faster but it's bad because he'll 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 do a master a wide shot master of the whole scene and then he may do it again but tell the actors you, you'll start off in the master and then he'll say okay stop and go to the ending because he knows okay for the for the middle part of this scene i'm probably going to be in the coverage and then maybe i'll come back out at the end of the scene and so but you get limit you he does that for time purposes and to make his days and stuff like that but you get in the editing room and you're like shit you only you only did the master one take yeah, uh, you don't, you didn't do it fully again, or even in the coverage, jumping, you're jumping in pages and or in dialogue in line. But as far as when I'm cutting and when I'm putting things together, and that's just the history of working with Paul is like I'll try to stay wider as long as I can, and then pick the the right moment and the right piece of the right line, and then that'll kind of like let me kind of introduce me into the, a, the different setup and we go to the medium shots he doesn't do too many really tight close-ups but he um and i guess as i'm putting the scenes together 
it's just kind of following the rhythms of of his dialogue. I always put the whole things, every, everything as he written. I don't cut lines out. You know, I'll, I'll I'll cut it all together as he wrote it. And I think that's how everything should be so they could see it all at first. And then we kind of go through it after, because I usually have a rough cut as by the time he's done shooting. Um, the movie will, will be mostly put together. And then we just kind of start at the beginning. And we kind of go through and... He's got a great memory and he, he he can remember kind of when the actors were at their best, you know, which takes and stuff like that were, were at their best. That is probably a massive challenge as well, knowing that you've only got like one master of this sort of scene or one. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. And so it just kind of makes you focus, I think, on the particular performance and the behavior that those actors are performing and, and giving to you. And um, you really kind of keen in into nuances of what is happening in in the performance. There's a particular moment in the film where Sigourney is talking to Maya, and it's the first time she came. She comes to meet her. You know, Maya's been at the at the the gardens for a week, two weeks or so, and Norma comes down to meet Maya, and they have lunch. And there's this wonderful take that Sigourney did. I don't know if it was unconsciously or whatever, but it's almost like she got wrapped up in the scene and she kind of drifted off and it, you could see it. And I think uh, Maya's character might've said something and it got her back into the scene. It was a beautiful moment because it, from when I saw that and then I put it in, I cut it and I was like, what do you think of this, Paul? And he loved it because it was Norma's character is supposed to be kind of forgetful and, as an as a somewhat of an older lady but it's those moments where i look for i look for things where the the actors kind of make mistakes uh if they're not kind of too obvious of course that it is a mistake but i thought it was just kind of like this this wonderful moment of sigourney just kind of like zoning out a, a little bit and then kind of like wait i'm sorry what did you say and so and that's not that's not scripted that's not written and it's just moments that i can find and I can present to Paul and he's either going to, you know, like it or not. Yeah. I think when you have those moments, like, because as an editor, you kind of see all the footage you see, mm-hmm. you, you, it's like, um, how could I say it? It's like, uh, as a painter, you have all that paint. Now you're mm-hmm. putting everything into place uh, for the final painting. And I guess when you're watching those takes and mm-hmm. seeing the little nuances of people's characters and, what you can add in and what you yeah. can what what you can sort of cut. I think mm-hmm. it's quite interesting to hear about how your process is waiting like listening to what watching something back to notice if people do make those mistakes. But it's also not necessarily to be like a uh gotcha moment, but more of a adding to the nuance of their characters and because you've seen everything overall um and know the story inside out, you kind of get a yeah better idea of how to sort of finally tune it for sure and i think as as all editors you're always looking for the truth and with any of the performances and what the characters and the the actors are doing and i think these moments where they're kind of off guard i think they just add it's kind of like a subtext and subliminal messaging and they add they let i think the viewer kind of inform like what's going on in their own mind of what's going on as opposed to being telling you know what from the filmmaker and paul's you know that's not paul and he's always want 
he always the way he writes is things are just left open they're left open for the viewer to be more kind of invested into and i think as far as the cutting goes and the things that we were doing on first reform you know paul wrote this seminal book back i think when he was like 25 transcendental style and film and it was a critique of Brisson, Ozu, and Dreyer's uh, work, and the pacing. And he and he goes into the editing and the uh, and the shooting of how those movies are, are put together, and the slowness of it, and holding on shots, non traditional coverage, and it's something that he's just been been fascinated by, and uh, you we do it, you know, we can see it throughout his his at least these the, the these three that i've been involved in and he's not toward you know he always talks about not banging heads you know when you're cutting back and forth between over the shoulder shots or mediums and letting things play longer in the medium shots on one character having lines off screen from another character and um i think it's great because i just you know you, you don't see that a lot you know things are kind of uh overly covered uh, things are usually, you know, handheld. There's multiple cameras, and you know, you're just kind of covering the whole scene. And I, it's great when the filmmaker kind of knows what they want and what they're doing, and has this restraint and knows like this is the shot, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, it's great. I, I, I love it. It doesn't. I don't feel limited. I'm always able to give different approaches to the scene. There was a moment in the card counter when. We didn't write it. I cut it. And there's a moment Oscar Isaac's playing poker with Mr. USA. And there's a moment where there, there's a conversation between Tiffany Haddish and Ty Sheridan's character in the background. And there's this moment where I just you I just cut to Oscar's character. And um, it, for him, it like changes the whole scene. You know, I, I put that what just this one little shot in just one little cut to ice to Oscar as his character. And he loved it. And for him, it changed the whole scene and, and the, the dynamic of what was going on. But it's freeing. It's great. You know, we Paul and I have a great rela relationship that we've developed over the four movies that I've I've been a part with him. And but there's always opportunities for for experimentation and, and exploration. I guess once you develop that sort of trusting relationship and understand what somebody is going for in their work and as you mentioned, Paul's book, then you kind of grasp an understanding of like what they're trying to say as a director and as a storyteller. And as you've mentioned, like in the with the previous example with the card count uh, counter, kind of finding finding new ways of to not tell the story, but finding new ways to like present the story from different characters' points of views. Mm -hmm. And instead of going for just that sort of dialogue shot of just them talking back and forth. It goes for more of a the reaction. So even though you as a viewer, you're hearing what's being said, I think it's it's extremely important to see what the person the act, you know, the character's reaction would be. Yeah. From from like this the whole conversation. And I guess it kind mm -hmm. of extends from like what's being said and what's being done. I think you see that in that sort of first conversation with Joel Edgerton's character and Scorny Weavers, where they're talking about taking Maya on as an apprentice mm -hmm. and that sort of slowness of 
like Joe Edgerton being like, oh, wow, wow like, yeah, you're taking someone on. But then also, like, there's meaning behind it all. But I think you see that as well with moments at the dinner scene where they're all three of having dinner and how it sticks to actors and their reactions of what's being said. Because I think it's not, uh, it's not, as I said, it's not focusing on what's being said, but it's focusing yeah. on people's how people are going to react to it and the sort of, I love that scene it's one of my favorite scenes the dinner scene yeah i think it's just scene, that yeah. but it's also such a well written scene because it is yeah as like uh people if you're at dinner you're kind of stuck there you yeah. can't just sort of it would look really bad to be kind of just like storming off to be uh because something has gone your way with dinner and you and because you're someone's guest mm-hmm. uh, it already creates that sort of tension and that sort of like oh where, where is this gonna go yeah um and that's a fabulous that, that scene is just so it's written so wonderfully and the performances are incredible sigourney is just on another level on that scene with with her wine glass and chugging down the wine and confronting uh the two of them and uh the restraint that joel is given you know that's i mean that's part of this trilogy in Paul's character is, is the restraint and withholding and just letting things kind of like come at you and hit you and you don't show emotion, you know, you, you're you still kind of holding it thin. And uh, that scene was such a, it's beautifully lit, it's beautifully shot. And it's, uh, it was, it was such a fun scene to, to cut. And yeah, you are kind of, I mean, Sigourney's leading the scene. And you want to be with her more because she's just doing an amazing performance there. And uh, but you get so when you cut to Maya's character, what she, you you feel what she's go all the language that's being um, hurled at and the insults that's being hurled at her from Sigourney and the reactions from Joel. It was um, we 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 drew, we drew it out a little bit more. I think my original version in the assembly, Maya got up. I think quicker. And Paul's like, no, like we let's draw her out more. Let's have her just kind of sit here and kind of not be able to escape for a little bit. And we added in some close-ups of Sigourney and Joel right when I think she's telling him that she's kicking him out, you know, to draw that these those that that tension out more. That was that was that was that was a joy. That was such a joy to work with. And I I know you haven't seen the card counter, but there's a scene in the card counter when Oscar's character goes and brings Ty Sheraton's character to the hotel room, uh, to Oscar's hotel room and gives him this proposal. And it's very tense and it's very intimidating uh, to Ty's character. And it's, it's again, like the dinner scene in Master Garner where it's just written so wonderfully and shot so wonderfully. You know, the scene almost kind of cuts itself because performances are amazing the cover the angles are great and the writing is just it's just great and i put that scene together and and paul loved it and we never after i i put it together for the first time i don't think we changed the frame of it because it was just it just worked so well and um it's uh yeah it's a joy it's a when once his writing is is clicking in and uh being able to put together those scenes I think as well when you do have those sort of like powerhouse performances 
that's probably quite a joy to watch as well just sort of sitting there being like wow okay how are we gonna put this together and yeah even the note of oh you know what hold it on just a bit longer just so that you as an audience member can build that uneasiness shall we say and that sort of like oh like oh this is not gonna this does not feel great to be part of um especially mm-hmm. if you feel like if you're a fly on the wall of that scene as well yeah on top of that i think my favorite scene of the film is when joel and maya have been kicked out of the grounds and they're on on the road basically mm-hmm. to collect uh, items from maya's house and then when maya points out to joel the uh, novel should i say instead mm-hmm. of calling by his character's name those you know is her ex-boyfriend and his little uh partner in crime yeah the scene sort of ramps up quite a lot in terms of tension and movement so we have the camera situated in the back of the car and then it follows them afterwards and you have i would say like a funny exchange between narvel and rg thank you sissy (laughs) and (laughs) um and the fact that you know oh who is this person in uh guarded attire and then when he pulls out the clippers it's like okay this guy means business when you have a scene like that where you need to go from like what feels like a quiet part to a little bit more sort of more tense and heavier moments how do you go about setting yourself up to cut the scene and to and to sort of present it in a uh, and to and how do you cut the scene to ramp up the tension it's just looking through the footage and looking at the performances and I look at the takes and I go, okay, like that's the take. I think you kind of build from, and it's probably was taken from Joel's. If I can remember, you know, Joel's when, once he gets out of the car and he comes up, there might've been three takes of him in that kind of medium shot single as he comes up and how, and how he says uh, the dialogue. I think there was one take where he goes, it was different because I think he says I've done a lot of, of pruning, and he and he drew it out a bit, and I was like, oh, that's you know that's the one to kind of build from, you know, the intro with the car, the camera in the car, the the setup, them coming into the scene and going around the block, that's probably pretty much straightforward. Yeah, when you get into when he's sitting there, um, isolated and he's waiting for her, and he gets the phone call from her and things don't sound right with her, comes back around. You have a you have a good sense because you've kind of the car's already driven past RG and Sissy at the beginning, so you kind of know as he's coming around. Like okay, there's tension. There's he there's this buildup of this confrontation that's going to happen between those three characters, and just the way, just the even the costuming and the hair and his look back hair, and the overalls with the with the bright red shears. You you sense. The, the 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 tension of what's what's going to happen and just Joel's performance I think I remember kind of looking at and that kind of being the driving force of what how I put it together in terms of cutting back to the reactions of RG and Sissy I think we did an ADR line in there to show to bring out the past because you know Narvel's now reverting back to his past as this assassin uh, as he threatens these guys, and I think we did an ADR line of him kind of saying something kind of um, stereotypical, I think, to Sissy, and uh, is drawing more kind of leaning towards the like the past is now is coming back out of Narble, 
as he as he poses this threat. So I, I think I remember, yeah, looking at Joel's performances and then taking it from there. Having the performances as a driving force um, mm-hmm. probably helps quite a lot as well in terms of just knowing, excuse my language, like shit's about to go down. So, yeah. so it's kind of like, okay, we need to sort of amp this up. And also you want to show Narvel as we've seen in flashbacks and I guess as with like the shows and sort of like unreliable narrators, you don't know how true they could be but then when you actually mm-hmm. see it as first hand of after coming back it's like wow this guy means business it should yeah. not be, be messed with yeah for sure i think as well like having i think it probably makes it quite more fun to edit knowing that you have a a scene that's very like energetically driven by an actor rather than by cutting it um in yeah. itself mm-hmm. um and that kind of makes it a little bit more fun to play with knowing that it's the actor leading the scene rather than you building it up with the tension. Cause there are a number of long shots in there as well. Mm-hmm. I love just watching. I get so excited when I'm, when I'm screening the footage and when I see just incredible performances and, and behaviors from the, the, the actors and the differences and nuances of how they kind of will shift their performances between takes. Like I said, I think he, in the take that we use, he really drew out when that, that dialogue, when he says I did a lot of pruning and it's, it's just great when you, when you have those moments and you can kind of structure the scene and you know, we're like, that's going to be in the movie. That's where I'm going to start to kind of build stuff from. I don't have to do, you know, you, 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 you're relying on the performances instead of trying to like manipulate to like some, I mean, of course, editing is all manipulation, but there's a, there's a joy in, when they're great performances and not having to kind of overly edit the scene, having things kind of just play out a bit more longer and the silences and characters kind of waiting to respond or just holding on their faces longer than what you need to be holding on for. Yeah. And instead of, uh, uh, as mentioned, just having that to drive the scene and then maybe just like cut around it sort of thing. Mm -hmm to keep that sort of tour de force going and yeah i think as well like joe edgerton's one of my favorite actors working at the moment so when you see him in full swing it's just like like oh man yeah. i would not want to be uh rj and sissy right now yeah it's interesting too because a lot he, with these last three movies all oscar all these kind of leading men oscar ethan and joel they get a great praise for the performances because they're they're just you're doing little you know and that's what paul wants doesn't want you bringing out too much or kind of overperforming and it's all about restraint it's restraint in the performance restraint in the camera work restraint in the editing as a way to kind of invest get the viewer to kind of lean in more i think it's a it's a it's a belief that i think he has that that movies are kind of overexplained you're 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 given all this music to kind of feel be told how to feel pacing tells you you know what to feel as well and paul is just kind of going the opposite way and and withholding and stripping things back and not having things to kind of clue you in into how to feel at you know any particular time and having scores that are kind of different Dev Hines' score is in this is 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 different 
uh, than just kind of like traditional score. And they're very, they're all very unique and they're very special films that I, that I had the, the pleasure to be a part of. Uh, as like actors in the, well, especially in like Joel's case, it's not necessarily like a very showy performance mm-hmm. in terms of, you said like less is more. And I think once I sort of start thinking about it more, you kind of think, yeah, they don't. They're very restrained in how they're mm-hmm. behaving and what they're doing. And it's quite, you kind of just like, yeah, I think that's like, I guess that's the nuance of an actor and knowing when to sort of give that sort of extra or just peel back a bit more and be the sort of more listening force of it all. It's letting the viewer kind of in their mind in the movie that they're the viewers making in their mind kind of form the ideas of, of like what the characters are thinking by not having so much presented to you and having the viewer and it's it's a it's a very it's a particular style and yeah not everybody's gonna gonna enjoy it you know a lot of people are gonna find the movie slow boring and that's because things are just fast now you know media is fast technology is fast everybody wants things really quickly and movies that come along and and challenge that and try to get the viewer to invest more are exciting and I think just kind of letting the it's always great when you can Paul Paul dropped this great gem to me when we were I don't know what movie we were doing and he was like the mark of the great movie is when the movie starts after you left the screening and it's like the movie that you're you're like you're you're putting in your head and you're going after and you're you're thinking about it afterwards and it's still with you you know it just hasn't the movie hasn't stopped as soon as like you've left the theater you're running things in your head and you're trying to like you know question and and figure out what what you just saw almost well i think this was that's something that when you when you watch something that does stick with you and as you said that's probably he that gem is probably like something that i'll probably take as well and pass on to people that mark of a good film is when it starts after the credits roll because yeah. there are times i'm not sure uh i can't re- i don't know how often it happens to me but there are times we just like man i can't stop thinking about how good that film was or how good mm-hmm. this scene was or how good how good this you know this sort of action beat was i think that sometimes a bit i think it's when you're kind of just like still processing and just being like wow and i need yeah. to go see that again yeah it's wonderful i mean when we did first reform and that came out it was the first movie that I that I because I hadn't I mean I did Doggy Dog, that was the first movie I did with Paul, that he didn't write, and it was this kind of absurd take on a crime drama. And Paul didn't want to do like your typical kind of crime uh, drama, and he just wanted to kind of go crazy with it. And Nicholas Cage and Wonderful in it, and uh, it was great because it was I got to experiment and show Paul different ways of approaching a scene and uh he was just gung-ho for like doing unconventional things in that film but then when first reform came out it was it was a it was a it was a good hit people saw it and what was so great for me was hearing how much they how much the movie just stayed with them after they saw it and they would have conversations with whoever they were with when they saw the movie together and talking about it. And I was like, 
was really proud of it. Really excited that people were were invested in it, the story and the themes that were that were tackled in the film and the filmmaking itself, because he went back to doing that's when after this kind of crazy, wacky film of Doggy Dog. And he was like, OK, now we're going to do a film that's just very controlled and precise and it's going to be kind of <laughs> what did he say meat and potatoes you know it's going to be like hold on a shot keep holding keep holding keep holding keep holding keep holding okay cut hold on that shot keep holding keep going okay now cut and coming from doggy dog and then the previous stuff doggy dog was my first feature that i ever cut and before that i was doing commercials and in commercials you're doing stuff fast of course and having the challenge of doing first reform and knowing that you're not going to bounce back and forth with the edits that you're going to hold on a shot for a minute and a half or two minutes, you know, a, a two shot, you're going to stay in that. And you're going to really pick the, 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 the moment when to cut into the, to the medium shots. And then first reform it's, it's different because it's a, it's a four, three, I think one, three, three aspect ratio. And so you're, there's no over the shoulder shots in that movie at all. It's all just, you know, a wide ish two shot of the two characters. And then these beautiful, you know, medium, somewhat medium close ups. And I was so excited to have that challenge and that opportunity to really kind of not be allowed to hide behind flashy editing and to have to wait to have to have that constraint and that that control just wanted to check as well because i know you guys were using adobe premiere pro yeah. uh, on this is that something that you've been using quite often or is it a new editing tool or is that always your go-to editing software i kind of go back and forth i've i first learned back in like undergrad on final cut and then in grad school, I learned Avid, and then uh, Final Cut went away, essentially, I guess, with 10. And then Premiere came out, and it was an easy transition to Premiere, knowing how learning from Final Cut and the, intuit the intuitiveness of, of Adobe Premiere. And so I, I'll go back and forth, because I think it's important for editors to know the technology, know the software. Uh, I mean, there's some editors, of course, that have just been cutting on Avid their whole lives, and that's great. You know, that's what works for them. But for me, I like I like switching between the two platforms. This one was different because I wasn't aware of Adobe Productions. And that's, I don't know how new it is, but it's new to me. And that changed a lot. That changed everything. We were, we were kind of essentially editing off of in the cloud. And there's a service that called Lucid Link, and it's kind of like an online, it's like a big cloud storage system. So all the media was on Lucid Link, and it works uh, really great with Adobe Premiere. And then I called and I spoke to some people at Adobe, and they were the ones that introduced me to productions and my assistant to productions. And it was great because now, almost like the Avid, where you, and in the Avid, you have one project and your assistants can open the project and you can be in the same project and then you're kind of sharing bins and whatnot. And Premiere now works that exact way where you now have all your, you're kind of like setting up all these multiple projects within this master production. 
and my my assistant can be in the next room and she could be loading footage into the to the project which is essentially a bin and then when she's done then uh she'll tell me and then I could bring it up and I could see it there or if there's sound effects that she's loud uh, loading in uh then she can have the bin open I could see that it's locked on my end and then she could load it in and then just tell me to hit refresh and it's very seamless it's so I thought that was great. I really, I never, I haven't used productions and I found them fantastic. And it was something different for me because we were, I knew I was going to be having to edit at home for, for the beginning of it. And then we were going to edit at the um, Jacob Burns Media Center up in Pleasantville. Because Paul lives kind of close to that and he, he just couldn't drive and commute into New York City every day. And so we worked on an arrangement with them, which was perfect. They were very welcoming, gave us wonderful space. And so I needed, I wanted to kind of experiment and have storage that was kind of more mobile, more cloud-based and not having to like have shuttle drives and other different hard drives and having to constantly make sure that all like the drives have duplicate copies of all the footage. We worked, you know, we had some representatives and people from lucid link that we can contact and they would help us out as well it worked out it worked out perfectly i think i i cut first reform i think on premiere as well six years ago and that i don't think they had productions back then but i was using premiere and i think i was i wanted to learn more about this kind of like new interface of of it all i think the card the card kind of was cut on avid but i found it great it's very uh it's it's coming from final cut and just knowing the the, the shortcuts and the customize custom um custom how you can customize premiere to whatever shortcuts and how you how you like your stuff set up is uh is is great but i guess when you sort of move from one uh, editing software to another and having those same sort of shortcuts already there probably helps quite a lot. But on top of that, having that cloud-based system, basically have everything at your fingertips, don't you? And people don't need to faff about with hard drives or getting one guy to run half a way across town to drop off one hard drive and then back and forth and whatnot. Yeah, essentially I could pull up the project anywhere. And as long as there was an internet connection and uh, my internet connection at home is, is pretty good. And so there's no, there wasn't any lagging. It was really weird. I mean, yeah, I could be on my laptop, not plugged into anything and bring up the project and be able to cut. And that's just, that, you know, that's, that was just amazing. And a lot of that has come because of the pandemic and the services kind of really took off during the pandemic because everybody was forced to edit at home uh, remotely. And so cloud-based editing i think really kind of came in to fruition then and then you have services like evercast and packpost live where you can you can and we used we used evercast on the card counter because i was in my home in jersey paul's up in upstate new york and i could set everything up and then in real time paul can see the film send him a link on evercast and it's like Zoom, you know, just like what we're doing right now, except there's another window and he could see in real time the 
the output of the the picture and and the sound of the film and uh we would we cut the whole movie that way because it was a pandemic we couldn't meet together of course i didn't want to be the one to give paul schrader the the uh covid as an older gentleman uh that he is with with already kind of health problems i was like i'm not, I'm not going near you <laughs> you stay up there i'm gonna stay down here and it it was uh it was where i mean it worked fine it was uh it was a fascinating process to to do it was re- it's really where when the movie comes out and it's in it's worldwide or whatever and it's like man i cut that movie in my my upstairs like guest room <laughs> for six months and and now it's like out there and everybody's like in theaters and people are watching it and uh but i think because of the pandemic and forcing everybody to work at home i think it really jumped the technology to what you can do and now you're seeing more companies where now you can have the camera when you're shooting footage it goes straight into the cloud and then that's like immediately accessible to the editor and the editor can start putting things together it's it's really taken a leap forward but there's still I I was just working on a movie in the past months and it was I started off just cutting at home and then we were able to the directors and I we were able to have a, a, a edit suite in the city and I still prefer I still love having that interaction it's more immediate you're not dealing with a lot of uh, technical issues and internet connection speeds and things kind of dying out and it's just like you know you're right there with the directors in the room working on the film and 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 figuring out and we got to do that with Master Gardener at the Jacob Burns Center and that made Paul happy coming from all virtual editing with uh, the card counter and so he was back he was happy to be back into uh, an edit room and coming in and and working on you know the film and at Jacob Burns it was great because they had this wonderful screening room and right down right down the hall and we can invite people to come up to pleasantville and we can project the movie big and have like these really kind of private you know intimate screenings and uh it was it worked out great well it's interesting to hear as well this or that even though you have all this technology the cloud base and whatnot you still miss that sort of personal touch of being in a proper edit suite but i guess it's also you can now split up with working from home and being in a suite as well if ever need be yeah for sure i I think you you can't that human interaction between personal interaction as well between the directors and editors and and being in the same room and it's it's hard to kind of get that through a screen and having that interaction and it's just more I feel more productive when I'm in the room with the directors and we're we're in it you know just going through it and talking about the scenes what's interesting about Master Gardener I think was it was the first time working with Paul that you know he was a little uh after the first screening he was a little he, he was a little nervous and it was the first time that I that I I saw that from Paul Paul is very uh, direct. He's very, doesn't really kind of like second guess himself. You know, he makes decisions very quickly. And at, after the first screening of the Master Gardener, I think he, he realized uh, some of the, some of the holes that were in the first screening of the film. And it's interesting because a, a bunch of, a bunch of the film changed after that first screening. 
the reveal of of Joel's character being a white supremacist with the tattoos. Originally, that that happened, I think, like an hour into the movie. And so it, it was this long kind of drawn out. We would cut to some flashbacks in between that, but you still wouldn't know that he was this had these covered tattoos up until that moment, which happened like an hour into the movie. And after the first screening, I think Paul and I, we both realized, okay, like we should get to that moment sooner. And after the screening, we went out, we had, we had dinner. We just started talking about restructuring the film and a bunch of it kind of took off from there. And then so that we moved, we took that tattoo reveal and we moved it up to like the first reel. So it happens in like the first, like I think in 20, 25 minutes, you find out that he's this white supremacist. And it was interesting because at first you had all the scenes with Maya and Norma before that. And then you had that kind of somewhat like in, that intimate scene where he's taking off his shirt to Norma and she sees the tattoos, but we don't see the tattoos. So originally in the first cut, we would, the audience would find out he has these racist tattoos later. And then it was like, oh, that's what Norma was looking at. And that's what was getting her excited. But then we moved that up and it does, it just changed the whole movie completely. I think people, the attention of people was grabbed a, a, a lot quicker. And now you're kind of going, okay, like we know he's this former white supremacist. Does Norma know? Oh, now and then we get to that scene where where he takes a shirt off to her to to her, and it's like, oh, okay, like that's she knows, and that's kind of like turning her on a bit. But now it's like, when when does Maya figure out? And that was the kind of that's the that's the suspense, I guess, in the tension of the film is the, the audience knowing that he's this white supremacist, and 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 Maya as their relationship starts to get to 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 blossom as as the flowers do and they have this attraction to each other like when is the 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 big moment of the of the burst and then that changed the placement of the what did he call the the flower the flowers blooming in the car ride that changed that whole moment because we that i forgot when that happened but we put that right after we moved that and we put that right after the sex scene of maya and Narvel. And that just that changed a lot of things and a lot of feelings for everything. So it was more restructuring that we did in the past with with the card counter and first reform. First reform, I think we did. We might have cut like one or two scenes and shifted very, very little around from how the movie was written. Very little. And I think in the card counter very little shifting restructuring i think in that one as well but in this one it was uh it was it was interesting it was fun to see a more of a to have this challenge of uh and that's what that's the great part about editing is the puzzle that you're trying to figure out shifting the pieces where they and and if they can be shifted uh and seeing like okay what happens if i take that scene and put it that came an hour into the movie and i put it in the first 25 minutes like what happens and what we do, we always have weekly screenings uh, as we get through the movie. And so after we have the first cut, when we screen that, then we'll go through 
we get feedback in from people that have seen the movie. We talk about that and then start to restructure and, and, and reshape it. And then we'll screen it again at the end of the week to select group of people. And then we'll go back the next week at the beginning of the week, fine tune it, restructure, do the, and it's, and have another screening. And, um, we saw the progression of the movie and the responses from the movie of people being more engaged, understanding the relationships between the characters uh, a lot more. I think that's always like a beauty of it is having that those early screenings to sort of fine tune your ideas and mm-hmm. also having those ideas that come up. So like the showing off the tattoos, because now you think about it, if it at the time, it probably felt like a right thing to do. But now on reflection, having that sort of idea of those tattoos put in earlier as an audience yeah. member to sort of be like one step of the ca- ahead of the characters. Yeah. And then also the t- moment where it is revealed, you're like, well, how is this going to turn or change the relationship with people? Yeah. And it's really, you know, the the flowers blooming in the road as they're driving in the kind of cathartic moment that narvel is having i think that just came because there's a bit there's a lot of driving scenes and i think it might have happened after one of the one of the motel scenes but it was part of like that kind of driving montage and as soon as we were after the first screening and we're talking about the restructuring and we both looked at each other and said well what if the what if we put that magical scene after the sex scene and then that just opens up a whole notion of other kind of connotations and ideas after, as opposed to just that coming after the car scenes of them traveling and, and going to the gardens. But if once you, once they have their sex scene and now they have this, they both have this kind of like cathartic magical moment in this kind of like weird elation of these flowers blooming it it just it fits so well and change the 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 dynamics and the of the relationship more it's always a you know you're dealing with in this movie heavy subject matter racism interracial relationships uh but the may december relationship being how much older he is versus maya character maya's character uh the love triangle between norma uh, Narvel and Maya, you're dealing with a lot, and that's what I loved about it was it was so complex, and Paul's just he's just so he's so courageous, he's so kind of uh, what is the word? He's so kind of um daring into like take it to these levels and have all these complexities and these characters, and that was the best part of like the pacing and everything and figuring out and working on developing the relationship and how kind of much and how soon they kind of Maya and Narva fall in love and then Norma's kind of persistent hovering or kind of spying into that relationship as well and 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 figuring out how to dial all those different kind of emotions and, and layers you know when to dial it back when to dial it more up and um it was fun I mean this was it was more challenge this was the most challenging from the card counter and first reform and just because of the the complexities of the relationships and 
Paul kind of seeing this movie as not necessarily like reality, but kind of like, uh, what if, what if these, this, this relationships and this kind of story happened? And it's always in the back of my mind, it's like, you know, are people going to kind of think this is plausible or, or believe in this? Are they going to be invested enough into their story to like when it gets to the sex scene uh, that that feels right or feels true or, or, or believable that that can happen? I think Paul sees this kind of more as is like short story versus like a full fledged out, you know, versus like first reform and, and the card counter. And I think that is a really good way to bookend the episode. Uh, Benjamin, thank you so much for joining me today and talking about Master Gardener. Thank um, you. Um, I really appreciate uh, that you're taking the time to speak to me. Master Gardener is currently still showing in cinemas and I'm sure it will head to VOD in the next few weeks. Benjamin, thank you again. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. My pleasure. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast.